respect. Y'all know I was not like this before. Right, right. I did not attack people. I, I was not on no East Coast, West Coast. I was the major bridge between the East Coast and the West Coast. Niggas came, call me. I'll get you whatever you want. So this is very serious. It's like if America sent an ambassador to Iran and he get murdered, Iran got problems and Iran should know that. And that's what I feel about New York. They should know that. Separate yourself from this nigga. And that's what's going to show. And they already do it. I got niggas in jail. I got niggas out there. But it's like the media is pumping it like East Coast, West Coast. Right, right. So some of these niggas that's old and whose careers is through, you know what I mean? Like De La Soul that can come out and talk that um, Renaissance shit and try to clean up hip hop. See, I'm all for positivity. I'm all for change. But I'm not for niggas masquerading. Right, right. You haven't sold no records and shit ain't popping. Don't come in here and start criticizing as your comeback. That's right, wrong. Y'all, right. you know how hard it is. You know how you felt when you didn't have no money and no record deal. Why are you gonna try to destroy another nigga career? Don't do that. Represent by example. And if you truly had a better lifestyle, then people will, you get five million sales. I'm not saying my lifestyle is the best. I'm saying this is the lifestyle most lived by the most motherfuckers out there. Or a variation of. No matter where you are. I'm not just, I'm not no gang, like on some killer nigga shit. I'm on some survival shit. Whether you a girl and you got three kids, you trying to go to school and work and make it. That's Tupac. I came from a crack mama, high school dropout, look at me now. Every time they throw an obstacle in front of me, I face it, let everybody know how it feels while I'm going through it, and then hurdle it, and let everybody see it. Every time it's coming in front of me, I have an interview, tell everything that happened, do it, and overcome it. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews. Presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews. Presented by IV Creative, it's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me, I have in the place to be my boy, J.O., here kicking it with me as we go over the classics like we always do. Want to give a big shout out to all the fans out there, stateside and worldwide, for showing all of the love on our new post on Red Circle, and of course, also as well on our YouTube channel. Guys, continue to subscribe, get the word out there, continue to support. We really do appreciate everything that you've done and love the numbers that we're starting to see. This is a big year. We got a lot of content coming out. We're promising some brand new things for y'all, so make sure that y'all still watching out there. As we always say here on The Vault Classic Music Reviews, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics. And Jay, today is a special one. Uh, because, because of what we have here in front of us We have And without any type of hyperbole I'm probably going to say One of the most consequential albums that We reviewed since we've done the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast And to me it's an album that we go back to 25 years ago And I think that this album Set so many different chain events in action That led to so many things happening Not just in the game but in pop culture and history and I say that because of the impact that this album had and the impact this album continues to have. Now, for the album that I'm actually talking about is none other than the Ford Studio album by the late, great Tupac Shakur, his double album, All Eyes On Me, released on February 13th, 1996, on Death Row and Interscope Records. 
And the story about it, we'll get into it in just a second, knows how this whole thing happened. But this was part of the chain of events that started close to about a nine to 10 month journey that seemed like it took two to three years. Literally, it was two to three years worth of action all happening in about nine to 10 months from when Tupac first got signed to death row until his untimely demise on September 13th, 1996 in Las Vegas, obviously. This was really, when looking at it, Jay, this was an album that was released, came at a time when Tupac was bailed out of jail. And for those who don't know the story, we'll go over it very, very briefly. Tupac was in Clinton Clark Correctional Facility in New York, was serving a prison term on a rape charge that he actually was convicted of in New York. This was allegations of a young lady said that Tupac and a group of men raped her. And he was the one that took the fall for it. He was convicted, served a term in Clinton Correctional Facility, actually filed an appeal. While he was on appeal, Suge Knight reached out to him through his attorney, David Kenner. And at that time, you were able to be released from jail as long as somebody could put a bailout for you in order to you appear for your appeal hearing. So what happened is, is that Suge Knight, head of Death Row Records, saw an opportunity, reached out to Tupac, really found him in a position where he was um, isolated, he felt alone, he felt forgotten, and at a point where really, professionally, he had thrived. He was just coming off of a number one album and Me Against the World earlier that year, and it was sitting in prison. Suge said, listen, I'll bail you out, I'll make you the biggest rap star in the game with the hottest album that you can make with all the producers that you need. They wrote up a contract on this piece of paper. <laughs> Many people have seen it, Jay. You've seen it. The yes, piece of paper that they wrote it out while he was there in jail, signed a contract, and Suge bailed him out. Over a million dollars bail. I don't remember exactly the, the exact amount. And Pac was out. And over to the West Coast, he went. They went over and recorded All Eyes on Me. And Pac did, as everyone knows, and has now become legendary. His work ethic in the studio is probably unmatched by very few people. As a matter of fact, you could probably count on one or two hands the amount of people that worked as hard as he did in the studio. He recorded the tracks for All Eyes on Me and the tracks that didn't make the album in a matter of about two weeks. <laughs> We're talking about probably close to 50 or 60 songs he recorded in two weeks. That's now, crazy. <laughs> even, now, even by today's standards. Even by today's standards, <laughs> that is insane. But take it back to 25 years ago in 1996 where the technology while good, wasn't as, isn't an advance now where you can create content, create music, create music, and pump it out. He literally was a junkie in the studio. I remember watching the David Bloomfield documentary, Tupac and Biggie, which was done in 2001. There was archival footage from the studio where Tupac was recording what was becoming All Eyes on Me and eventually also some things from Machiavelli where he's talking to people was like, yo, we sitting here in the studio, we smoking, people got drinks and Hennessy and stuff like that. While we sitting in here, man, we going to be in here, let's work. You know what I'm saying? Let's boom, boom, boom. I don't have time to sit here to craft out songs and to work on stuff. Like, yo, we got to get stuff on. He said, yo, tell that producer, get that engineer, get that beat popping, get niggas in there while we sitting in there freestyling. Woo, 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 whatever niggas rhyme, you say that. Whatever the last line of this nigga, that's going to be the hook. Whatever we come up with a hook. We don't like the hook, we stop that right under the hook. But we got to get moving. And that was the mentality of him making music. He was hungry out of jail. He had a lot to say. And he was angry at a lot of people. And that's really what I think what points me to why this album 
is so consequential. Obviously, we know the events leading up to this, not just the rape charge, but his shooting at Quad Studio, eventually the beef that he ended up having with Diddy and also with Biggie, who was his homeboy. They were almost like big brother, little brother, to tell you the truth, because Biggie and Pac, during Biggie's ascent, Pac was one of the biggest rappers in the game, and Pac sort of gave Biggie game and took him underneath his wing. And he was angry because he felt as though Biggie either, one, set him up to be shot, or if he didn't set him up to be shot, he knew who did it and didn't say anything about it. So that's what led the events to them pretty much beefing with each other. And hence the reason why this started is what everyone knows started what is now the fictional Vibe magazine created East Coast, West Coast beef. And it led to a dangerous change of events, which didn't necessarily lead to the events of Tupac being killed, but made people think that it did, which eventually led to Biggie being killed. So it really kind of all set with the events leading up to this album. But particulars about this album, I just had to get that out the way because for those who don't know the history leading up to All Eyes on Me and why I think it's so important is I just had to lay it out there. So February 13th, 1996, literally recorded between two weeks from 13th of October to the 27th of October in 1995 in Can-Am Studios in Los Angeles, California. Runtime between the double disc over two hours, basically two hours and 12 minutes and 20 seconds. On Death Row Records, the executive producers, Shook Knight, other producers as well, Johnny J, Daz Dillinger, Sam Sneed, DJ Pooh, DJ Quick, who also mixed a good portion of the album, Warren G, and of course, Dr. Dre. And then there was also productions by QD3 and Rick Rock, as, long as, as well as Mike Mosley. Five singles coming out from All Eyes On Me, which is the most of any Tupac album that's come out. Ever popular California Love, the original and the remix. Two of America's Most Wanted featuring Snoop Dogg. How Do You Want It featuring Casey and JoJo. I Ain't Mad At You. Here we are, Jay. February 13th, 96. 25 years ago since All Eyes On Me came out. Just your thoughts on listening to the album when it came out back then. What it felt like as far as like the impact of what it came out when it first came, when you first listened to it. And then over the years leading up to this week, what how your opinion on that has changed, if any? Oh, man. Yeah. So 25 years ago, yeah, so 96, I was in junior high. And of course, it's like during the thick of like, you know, what I'm saying the beef between him and Big. So, yeah, you no, know, it was already even it was already pretty big news in like 96. I mean, 96 is just a big year in the sense of them. Like one, we knew all eyes on me was coming. Mm-hmm. And then other big news, Death Row labels that like Drake was leaving Death Row. Yeah. So like, um. You know, Sedge ain't dropped, and we were still expecting that classic Death Row sound because Death Row still had like a chokehold on the industry at that time in the '96. That was probably, that was probably like, the, like the last great year for them. Yeah. But um, listen to the album. I'm thinking it was. I, I thought initially it was gonna be like just riddled with like Biggie disses or whatever like that because I knew obviously Pac was heated as far as what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Listen to the joints. I mean, it was that classic Death Row sound. I just love the the um, collaborations he had with other artists. I mean, plus like even. I mean, because Pac did say his, his comments about East Coast rappers as well, but you saw you had, like, Methylene, he was working with Red, like, you know, he was still cool people from the East Coast, at least yeah. certain people. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, and even though they weren't on the album, like, you know, Boot Camp Click, I know he was still cool with them during this whole time. Yeah. And then just, like, to know he did this all within a two-week period, which is it's just remarkable. Yeah. You know I mean, I know, I know he had a lot to prove. He had that crazy work ethic. Yeah. But listening to it now, I mean, definitely, I, it's aged well. I mean, just like the content of it, because like and that's another thing. Just which another thing that's consistent with Pac, like you know, 
the content is still relevant to this day, you know, and as far as like when he's talking about certain issues, like, I mean, even like certain bars, like he just made timeless music. And he just did it again, even under the death row umbrella. Yeah. I don't know what it was like when you were in middle school, though, man. Um, I remember this being really big because being in the area that we're from, like people like New York hip hop. But it always seemed like from our area where we were from, if you were from like D.C., people really took to sort of like the Midwest, down south, and even the West Coast rap artists, I think, a little bit more than they did some of the New York artists or back then, back in that day. Well, at least Definitely. like in our age group, like, because I remember, and at that time, people were in the bone, like people liked Biggie and some of the stuff with boot camp click and everything else, but the majority of people that like stuff were really into like down south and West Coast hip hop. So Tupac was big back then. He had become not just a rapper, he was almost like this... I don't know if you could use the word like an 80s frame. He was almost like a teen idol at that particular time within our community. You could see it being in middle school of that age group of people, how influential he was. As we listened to the clip that began, people wanted it to make out to be this whole East and West thing, and East and West thing, which was crazy. Because like you said, people kind of thought that it would be filled with a bunch of stuff of this is with Biggie. But really, it wasn't like that. He said he was a bridge between the East Coast and the West Coast. Pac was born in New York. Spent a majority of his life in New York, spent time in Baltimore during high school, then moved out to California with his mother right when he was at the end of high school, didn't finish high school, and then started his career as a roadie with Digital Underground, and then got his chance to be able to start and make music. So he was a bridge because really he was almost like he lived and had homies on both coasts. He was cool with Method Man and Red Man, cool with Boot Camp Clip and Buckshot cool with greg nice <laughs> you know like these dudes who were like staples so it really was something that people were making it out to be something that it wasn't but you want to know what it was the fact that vibe put that out and the media put it out that it was it was east coast versus west coast made people like us made our age group and people who listen to hip-hop like either sort of take take sides and buy content or who you with. I support this person, you support that person. And it really did fuel some sort of excitement though, when you looked at it, because it really like almost was like a pro wrestling type of thing, you know, like, like promotional type of like, you know, that's the feeling that it sort of had, like this was NWO and WCW, like that was in 96 too. So, you know, it was crazy, but listening to it, what I'm amazed at the fact that he did this in two weeks, like I can't even comprehend how someone gets this quality of work done in two weeks. And then imagine the fact that he gets out of jail, I would think early in October, you know, he gets his, does his whole thing, does what he has to do. And then he immediately jumps in the studio and in two weeks is like, it's done like works with not just Dr. Dre gets work done by Johnny J by Daz, by DJ quick, like gets them to all pump out these fire beats and then gets in and gathers people up like E 40, like be legit, like rapping forte, <laughs> like method man, rap man, Daz and Corrupt, all to be on his album to put out a project and put out a double CD and then leave almost 20 to 30 songs out there that weren't even put on the project that were left off of the cutting room floor. <laughs> it's, That's insane. it's ridiculous, man. And he was angry. He mentions in a lot of the interviews that he happened, he was angry at the justice system, the rape case to him. He felt like he was done wrong. He um, felt like he was made a pariah out and by many people, by the media. He mentions in this, and I wonder why they call you bitch. He mentions C. Dolores Tucker, who was a, a critic of hip hop, of course, in the way that they portrayed black women. And he was mad at people who we thought had his back in the streets, his team. 
he was mad at people that seemed to abandon him after he won, was arrested for rape, and then also got shot. So when he was in prison, he said in in documentaries, and his mother said that it gave him a chance to think once he stopped smoking and he got a chance to sit there in prison. He had fuel built up for this album. This album was so big that I just remember at a certain point in time, in between like February up until like spring break, that this was the only thing I was hearing people playing when I was in middle school. It wasn't like there were other things that were coming out. There were massive albums coming out during those time periods, but the rap bands were clinging on to this, and especially those who were in the West Coast hip-hop. Like, this was this was almost like a Bible. <laughs> oh, definitely. You know? Great lyrics. You can tell by someone who was a writer and a poet at heart really being able to break down some of the lyrics, like you said, that you hear. Like, in songs like Only God Can Judge Me and Life Goes On and Hearts of Men, like, you can hear, like, just the process of being inside of a jail cell and having to write down some lyrics and then having the energy and the fuel of wanting to succeed and get so back at someone so bad this is his triumphant return and you could tell by the first track on the album or disc number one ambitious of a rider it's almost like haha motherfuckers you thought you got me but i'm back you know like <laughs> you thought you had me this time but i'm back it's exceptional i don't think this is his best work but i do think that if you talk about a work that has influence as far as its impact on the game and how it affects other rappers who were his contemporaries, but then also who were his successors. This is probably the biggest one. Even now, listening to it 25 years later, it's like, wow. Like, listening to it this past week to refresh myself, it was just like, this is crazy that he got this done in two weeks and the fact that, you know, he had all these different producers and people involved in this product and it's got ready together in two weeks Let's not even mention that Devontae Swing produced on this as well. Like, <laughs> like crazy, man. It's to me has endured because of Tupac's legacy overall, but because of this is the album that pretty much where he transforms. He sort of transforms from that, you know, revolutionary pop, like the one who likes to have a little bit of fun, but really was revolutionary to where he's sort of still revolutionary on this, but He's really aiming to get back at people to show them like, yo, like you thought you got rid of me, but you didn't. I'm back, motherfuckers, and I'm not going anywhere. Let's go through highlights um, and let's take it disc by disc because I think you have to sort of break it up from one disc to the other. So I'll start with you. Let's start with your, with your highlights with disc one, book one. What are your highlights on there, man? Go through your highlights. <laughs> All right, best. So, um, man, so many too, so like, of course, the California Love remix, because I always like always love those like synthesizers and mm. touches that Dre put on there, along with you know what I'm saying, like late Ray Roger Troutman, as far as like his spin on there with the little um, can't think of the instrument what it's called, but like yeah, that vocal vocal synthesizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, I ain't mad at you. Only God could judge me. I mean, of course, two of America's most wanted. How do you want it? Ambition as a rider. Got my mind made up. I say all about you already, all right? Yeah. All about you? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, and I'm um, probably the biggest highlight for me that obviously it wasn't like a radio joint was I'd probably be no more pain because, like, mm-hmm. I just love that. I just like I just love those dark melodic beats, and Devontae put it down for this joint. Yeah. Now, no side note, Devontae was pretty much like a Suge Knight Jr., but mm-hmm. yeah. he still had talent brought to the table because, like, you have to definitely heard some of the stories on the back end as far as, like, him smacking up some artists that you very well know and love. So, yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, those would be my biggest highlights from there. I mean, yeah, that's disc one. And to me, I think disc one is the better disc out of the two discs. I mean, that's me personally. You know, and what about disc two? What are your highlights as far as we did with the second disc? Rather be a nigga because I like that. Um, I like that sample that was used for it. Mm-hmm. The passion journey. I mean, that's even a local level with DC. For, yeah, you know, about back. You know what I'm saying? That chain gets the party going. So, yes, yeah, sir. Uh, Shorty want to be a thug. Wonder why they call you bitch. Check out time. I thought it was pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Heaven ain't hard to find. You know, I say yeah, and can't, can't see me. So yeah, those would be my highlights from disc two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are like, uh, you know, your highlights. Do you have any lowlights in particular on either one of those desk things that you were just like, you know, mm, I don't really know, you know, like if it's uh, there's some things that I'll get into in a second about all eyes on me that some people say, like, especially the hardcore pop fans. But you had any lowlights, things that you were just like, you know, not necessarily things you would throw out, but just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they they could have selected this and maybe put some of the other tracks that they left out. You know what I'm saying? So uh, only one that really comes to mind for me is Jane. What's your phone number? Oh, OK. <laughs> you wasn't fucking with that joint too hard. Yeah, I mean, like it just, and it's it's one of the things like like um, I guess like you were saying saying earlier, like you know, it wasn't whack, but it just didn't really flow with the with the album for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, nah, true, I hear you. Okay, cool. Well, my highlights, like I said, I def definitely think that disc one was the better disc out of the two, and I think they're both solid, but I think disc one is definitely the better disc. Ambitions of a, a Rider is probably one of the best opening tracks you can have to an album. And <laughs> you think about it. Like, if you want to talk about over the last 30 to 40 years, hip-hop albums, one of some of the best opening tracks, that's right up there near the top as far as tracks that you could have to open an album. Sick-ass beats from Daz. I actually do like Scandalous that features Nate Dogg because you can never really go wrong with Nate Dogg's voice. And especially that's the way that if you want to hear a hook sung by Nate Dogg, that's how you want it sung. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Got My Mom Made Up is crazy because Pop definitely kills it. Corrupt kills it. Rad and Meth definitely kill it. And that's another great beat by Daz. Like, if you listen to it, that's even a beat you listen to. You're like, yo, Daz did that? Like, yeah, he did. Yeah, Daz is a dope producer, too. Yeah, Daz is a really, really dope producer. And he played a big part in this album getting made. Uh, How Do You Want It? Two of America's Most Wanted, obviously. Um, Casey and JoJo had gave Pop one of his biggest hits and helped make that song. Uh, underrated hit that I like, like some of the bigger, bigger, like deep album cuts, like No More Pain and Hearts of Men. Great beat by Devonte, excellent beat by DJ Quick, and good elements of DJ Quick sort of taking some elements of That Nigga's Crazy by <laughs> by Richard Pryor um, and incorporating that into the song. Um, another great thing with he produced on this and did it underneath his actual birth name and legal name. And because the label wouldn't allow him to use his actual name in the credits. And he actually mixed a good portion of this album too, DJ Quick, as we talked about when we did Quick's the Name not too long ago. Life Goes On and Only God Can Judge Me Rapping Forte, which is something Pac definitely wanted to collaborate with him when he was listening to him while he was in jail. And the California Love remix, that's the one that appears on the album. Everybody remembers like the radio version, which is cool. But I actually like the remix version better because it sounds more West Coast. Like, exactly. that sounds more like a California love song. Like, this is, gives you all the feels. Like, we talked about same thing with DJ Quick. Like, you want to listen to the music and see if it can transport you to, the like, the scene in, in Cali. So, 
You have the original song that has the original beat that everybody knows and a lot of people like. Then you got the remix. And then the original had like the, you know, Mad Max and the Dome like video theme and, you know, everything like out in post-apocalyptic America, wherever they are. And the remix has a house party with Dre and Pac in this amazing mansion in this pool, you know. Mm-hmm. That's California. Right. <laughs> that's California. That that I mean, that's probably California Love's probably one of Pac's one or two or three biggest songs ever, as far as like chart performance and impact and everything else. Done by Dre. And one of the most underrated parts about California Love is at the end when Roger Troutman's just sort of going off, like freestyling yeah. whatever he's doing. Like I was like, yo, I had to rewind that like two or three times. <laughs> like, yo, this dude, may he rest in peace, Roger Troutman. But my goodness, really put it down to the end of that song. I ain't mad at you. Of course is, is great. And Danny boy had a couple of joints he did on here. Those are really my highlights. Um, The ones that I didn't mention, I mean, I know I, I don't really have a, a problem with them. I didn't really have a huge problem. with What's your phone number? I thought it was a weird placement to have it at the end of the last disc, though. Okay, um, maybe I had an issue with it. Yeah, yeah. Disc number two, um, I love Can't See Me, which is another Dr. Trey track with George Clinton and Nancy Fletcher. Shorty Wanna Be a Thug. Wonder Why They Call You Bitch was really um, an interesting message, especially after he got out of jail. Was sort of talking about the the whole things that were at play with the the whole what he had been criticized by with, but not just by C. Dolores Tucker, about a lot of different people as far as like how he betrayed black women, which is a lot of things he talked about inside of interviews as far as like how he said he betrays black women, which he was offended by. Thug Passion, obviously. I mean, I listened to that, and Jay, you already know you're from D.C. If you listen to Go Go. <laughs> This is the, one of the things in the backyard's 96 Dope Jam, one of their best-known hooks. And when I listen to it and hear the hook, I can't really think about, instead of that being, you know, whoever that was, whether that was Jewel or Storm or whoever singing that, and I'm thinking it's Wednesday instead of, instead of them. Right. <laughs> like, after they're singing that, I'm expecting them to go and tell it, well, it's the Montana. <laughs> like, G to come in. First, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Picture Me Rolling obviously is a um a, another favorite. Rather Be a Nigga with Richie Rich is a really smooth song. And I really think, you know, Pac and Richie Rich had nice chemistry because they had collaborated as well on Me Against the World. You know, Ain't Hard to Find was interesting. The fact that, you know, he had all the the Bay legends on there with him with E-40, D-Shot, P-Legit, Sebo, Richie Rich, and then Heaven Ain't Hard to Find, which was uh, written by Pac and Quincy Jones III and um, produced by Quincy Jones III. Nice way to close out the album. If I do have any lowlights, I would have to say sometimes that some of these songs ran a little bit long. Like, you know, the beat rolled out and just sort of just rolled out. It was Pac sort of talking at the end. And I know like he had a lot of shit to sit, to get off his chest. But sometimes I was just like, damn, I right, nigga, wrap this shit up and go to the next track. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially on What's Your Phone Number. Like, he was sitting there and that little joint he was talking with with a girl. He was on the phone. I'm like, all right, dude, like, you going to go over there or not? Like, you've been rapping a shorty for this whole time. You just going to go over there. She wants you to come over. Like, why are you still talking? You know, that's crazy, man. Four cell phones back then. I mean. Yeah, I know they could. <laughs> so even though them joints look like half footballs, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> so I mean, the one other than that, I would have to say I wasn't really a big fan of Big Psych, um, at all. Um, <laughs> I thought he really didn't add a whole lot to All Eyes on Me, or or really even to what he did in Picture Me Rolling. Um, a lot of the guest spots on here. 
I'm kind of back and forth on the outlaws because sometimes I like them being on tracks, and then sometimes they're on tracks, and I'm like, yo, why did you, like, Pac, you really have to put them on this joint, yo? Like, hit them up <laughs> is a perfect is a perfect example of that. Like, <laughs> oh, so you, so, you, so you say you didn't like them on on um, the hit them up joint? Well, nah, of course not. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> like. Clear. Yeah, no, nah, I didn't clear. like them on the hit them up joint. Nah, I didn't. But I like them on some joints here, like you know, like some of the stuff Fatal did and Idi I mean, and you know, like I mean, it's they're fine. It's Sometimes I do think that, you know, Pac, I think it's almost like sort of like when uh, what Dre did on Chronic 2001, where he sort of, you know, featured all these people. And some of them I think he could have had on and some of them he could have left off. (laughs) And I think Pac did some of that, too. But, you know, he wanted to show love to his people and I definitely get it. And then it's a it's a death row record. So you're going to have people on death row from there. It's going to be it's a family affair. So great production on this. Um, I really was amazed that a lot of the work that Johnny J did on this and then you know particularly like the deep album cuts that I forgot about in time and just sort of like casually glazing over this album but getting more into depth it's like yo I like this joint like and like especially the stuff like Hearts of Men and Only God Can Judge Me uh, are songs that I tend to sort of forget about that on the fringe and outside of my mind that now it's like yeah I, I fuck with this shit you know what I'm saying so now we get to the fun part notable quotables so let's see what you got. Jay, what you got for notable quotables? I mean, I guess like one of the biggest ones would be like, um, I could judge me. I mean, I think we all know the line. He was like, um, where he said, any sense the white man should feel it's my own kind doing all the killing here. So like, and I think that's more, that goes back to what I was saying as far as like, you know, how his lyrics still, you know what I'm saying, are relevant today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, especially everything going on with like police shootings and Black Lives Matter, that's one of the more controversial points they bring up as far as like, you know, say like, yeah, police are doing killing, but I mean, it's killing going on in, like our neighborhoods too. Like, mm-hmm. where's outrage with that piece? But that's why, at least, that's what I took from from Pac. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, yeah. And plus, like, you know, Pac is pretty much like highly revered now. I mean, he was he was highly revered when he was alive, but you know, like for him to be like a quote unquote ancestor now, speaking on that, people have such high reverence of Pac. Like, you know, with him saying, I really, think, I really think like it makes people take a further look into it. It was like it's not like just an old way of saying it, but this is like somebody. You know, cool that was saying it or seen as being cool, bring up that point. So mm-hmm. I just feel like, you know, just brought up that relevant point, like make people think about what's going on out here, or even back then, because, you know, it was crazy, crazy off the chain back in the day. So, um, yeah, I can mess around, wrap this whole joint for I wonder why they call you bitch. Like, yeah, but, um, he was like, still looking for a way out, and that's okay. I can see you want to stray. There's a way out. Keep your mind on your money and rolling school as year pass by. You can show them fools. You ain't trying to hit me because you stuck. You're in for the bathroom, about to get tossed up. Still looking for a rich man. You dug a ditch, got your legs up, trying to get rich. I love you like a sister, but you need to switch. And that's why they call you bitch. Mm-hmm. I bet you, like, you know, so. Yeah. Pretty much like him giving those those warnings. I mean, it's. I mean, just the whole message of that song, like, you know, yeah. dudes aren't just, like, throwing bitch around. Even though it's a disrespectful thing, they're just throwing it around, like, all just crazy for no reason. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Saying, like, you know, part of that is, like, on you because of your behavior. Yeah. Quotable, just, like, just dope lines, like, line up my adversaries, blast on sight, and fuck your boyfriend, bitch, I want some ass tonight. You know, my Stilo, Alizé, Chris, Dallin, Louise, sure you heard of all the freaky shit they say about me. Plus, all you busters jealous, you put your gun out and blast. I dare you niggas to open five, murder that ass. Like, just the intensity of it, mm-hmm. like, yeah. with that Devontae beat. I mean, just, for, like, really made for a really well put together song, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are ones I could think of right off the top, because I'm pretty sure I could name quotables all day. But, all day, yeah. You know what I'm saying? At this point, I just turn over to you just to hold some back in the clip you know what i'm saying yeah so. yeah no doubt yeah now that's interesting shay like you know definitely tons of quotables and stuff but to sort of go back to that line you were talking about on you know i wonder why they call you bitch and 
it's like going back to the movie, thinking about poetic justice when, you know, well, you know, Lucky and Justice were in the front of the truck and he was talking to her and she was ignoring him. And then he calls her a bitch and all of a sudden he get, it gets her attention. And then she was just like, she's like, no, you shouldn't be calling me no bitch. Don't be calling me no bitch. She was like, nigga sitting here being all courteous and shit, trying to get your attention. I got to call you a bitch to get your attention. You know, so it sort of goes back to that that line, you know what I'm saying? And the, line, the argument they had about the fact that he's using that word bitch. So I think that's sort of like an extension of what was said in the movie, you know? So, yeah. But my notable quotable. So it's tons of them on here. Like To me, I'm going to go, I could pick any one of the verses on Got My Mind Made Up. I mean, Corrupt had a fire verse, Meth and Red both had fire verses, but I'm actually going to go with Pop and his verse on there, the second verse on there. So mandatory, my elevation, my lyrics like orientation. So you could be more familiar with that nigga you facing. We must be based on nothing better than communication. No the damage and highly flammable like gas stations. Sorry I left that ass waiting. No more procrastination to give the fate to get that ass shaking. I'm busting and making motherfuckers panic. Don't take your life for granted and put that ass in dirt. You swear that bitch was planted. My lyrics motivate the planet. It's similar to Rhythm Nation, but thugged out. Forgive me, Janet. Who's in control? I'm activating your souls. You know the way games get controlled. Yo, two years ago, a friend of mine told me Alize and Chris Dow blows your mind. Bad witness to the dopest fucking rhyme I wrote. Taking off my coat, clearing my throat. And it goes into that hook where Method Man got my mind made up. But it's crazy. Like a couple of things in there. He talks about some. My lyrics motivate the planet. It's similar to Rhythm Nation, but thugged out. Forgive me, Janet. Who's in control? I'm activating your souls. Like, <laughs> very clever little reference right there. And it sort of even also goes back to sort of the, uh, a whole thing that he makes a reference to Janet. But, you know, there was also he made in an interview the fact that that Janet said that, you know, if they were if she was going to be doing a sex scene with him, that he had to get drugged. He had to get uh, have an STD test. And right. but it wasn't like they were actually going to be having sex. It was a scene. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I remember that. I remember that he said he thought it was ridiculous. She would ask him to get an SDD test. And it's like, yo, we're not actually having sex. It's a scene like, like crazy. Yeah, he, said, he said, if I was actually have sex, I would take four AIDS tests. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 right exactly i feel you dog yes he's i take a million of them drinks if you want me to so <laughs> oh man yo crazy uh other than the fact that we talked about the speed that this joint was recorded in i'm looking at the leftover tracks that are on here it's it's crazy the amount of people that he actually like collaborated with got my mind made up originally had Inspector Deck on it, but his verses were left off. I don't know if you knew that, but how many people knew that? But that would have been crazy if that track would have had, if it would have had Inspector Deck on it instead of maybe say Daz. Like, yo, that would have been, that would have been one of the most fire fire songs of all time. Actually, you know, he did another one with DJ Quick, Late Night featuring DJ Quick and AMG. Um, He had a song with his brother Mo Prime and also Dramacital. Another song with Corrupt, Still Ballin', they had original version. There were a lot of songs that they did that they left on the cutting room floor. And it wasn't just that. He kept it up afterwards because there was material they had not just for that, but then also he jumped back in the studio after this and started doing stuff for Machiavelli. And he pumped out a lot of songs. He had so many, so much unreleased material by the time he passed away that he had. there was a lot of things that they were able to put out that Death Row and eventually Tupac's estate was able to put out music after he had passed away so it's like almost you keep him live in the consciousness of people after that happens 
This album debuted number one on the charts on Billboard's 200 and also the rap and, rap and hip-hop charts. Sold half a million copies in the first week. Since then, it has been certified as Diamond. It's a double album, so when you sell five million copies, that counts for 10 million because you're literally buying two albums in one. It's uh, been that way since then. I think now the total count that it's at now is like 11 or 12 million records now, which is an album can sell that many records and continue to maintain for that long. Like it was certified diamond actually on July 23rd, 2014. And that was 18 years after he died. It continued to climb and people still continue to buy it and listen to it years and years and years afterwards. Uh, this was, I think, a four Mike album in the source. If you talk to a lot of people, though, as exceptional as this album is, there are some people will say that, hey, look, <laughs> this is a great album. If you cut some of this down and maybe consolidate it into one disc, and maybe instead of it being two discs with 27 tracks on it, maybe get it down to one disc with maybe 17 to 18 tracks. <laughs> this might have been almost a perfect album. <laughs> like, I personally am one of the people that I think that the the first disc actually, to me, by itself was classic just in its own. I honestly looked at it and was like, there's not really a weak spot on this first disc whatsoever. And the second disc was solid, too. I definitely think there's, it's a little bit of a step down from the first one. But you talk to a lot of people. It's one of the things about that you have when you do a, a double album. Are you sacrificing quality for quantity? You know, that's the that's really the question that you have. The quality on this seems to maintain pretty much through a lot of it. But could he have cut down maybe six, seven tracks, eight tracks, and then kept it up to like 18 and kept this at one disc? And could it have been like almost perfect you know like i don't know it's just something to think about i mean what do you think about that jay i mean i definitely could see the argument as far as like cutting it down to one mm -hmm. uh, but i just, just got to keep in mind like no this is back in 1996 and i think maybe like i mean while that could have been the case i think more so they like defro was thriving on controversy too yeah and you know there was a controversy like you know of course, yeah, with Pac being on Death Row, and then the whole thing with Pac being with Biggie, like beefing with Biggie, and then also the fact you know he was coming out with an album. It's like you know, I think that was like the one that was for the more first notable like double disc. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, wrapped up really with yeah. by more. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, wrapped up with disc. Absolutely. Yeah, this album legacy wise, we talk about Death Row was a big label. It was a huge, huge conglomerate, entertainment, rap, whatever it is that they did they were involved in a lot of different things like you know production above the rim the soundtrack one of the best soundtracks that we know out there and they had big stars they had dr dre they had doc that was working with them they had snoop they had the dog pound but it's like when you added tupac into that equation they went to the next level <laughs> like death row as a label went to the next level when Pac came on board it was almost like I don't even know what like <laughs> like what kind of analogy I could talk about when adding someone to a unit and bringing them over the top. Like that was like almost like the Bulls getting Dennis Rodman, you know, <laughs> like that's what started their legendary one of that second three P. That's really what it was like. It was like them getting that key player that brought them over the top where death row was already hard to touch as a label before then you put Tupac into the equation and they became unstoppable. And, Let's think about this timeline. This is an 11th month timeline from October 95 until September of 96. But it felt like it was almost two to three years worth of shit because how much of all the shit that was happening within that time period. Think about this, right? In October 95, 
Pac's out of jail. He records All Eyes on Me in two weeks. Comes out in February of 96. Somewhere in the middle of 96, Dre's fed up with Death Row and he leaves and starts his own thing. Pac starts recording Machiavelli. On that, he disses not only Dre, but he also disses Nas and Jay-Z and De La Soul and Biggie on there as well. On his way out the door, in September of 96, Pac gets shot. Six days later, he dies. And all that happens in less than a year's time. Right. It was almost like just that time period, like the movie All Eyes on Me, which I saw the movie. And for those of y'all who've seen it, you know, to me, I think it was it was substandard. I think that the movie itself did not capture and also kind of took some liberties with some of the troops that were out there. It's almost like you could have just made a movie just based off of that 11th month time period because all the shit that happened in that time period. Because then there was also talk that Suge and Pac supposedly wanting to take his stuff away from death row and taking artists and signing them with them. Like, you know, there was a, a, a an interview not too long before Pac died where they wanted to start this death row East where they wanted to collaborate with Greg nice. And they wanted to do stuff with boot camp, click and everything else. And then they go out to Vegas and everything changes after that. But the impact of how people sort of took this album and then things afterwards sort of let and led to a chain of events that, led to a lot of things happening. A lot of stuff happened as a result of this album, Pac's death, Biggie's death. A lot of people died on the street because of things that people thought about this beef that was going on between people, you know? So I think that's as big as the legacy as anything else when you talk about what what led to this album, what this album led to as far as when it came to the lives that were lost as a result of it, of this supposed beef that was perpetuated in the media that, you know, really wasn't that led to people losing their lives, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I know, it, I know it all in like on a street level too. I mean, no, street you know, level, yeah. Vegas, like with Orlando, him, yeah, Pac getting involved in that, and that's what ultimately like you know got him killed and everything like that. But even then, like on, like on the street side of things, like Crips getting killed out there, like I think some bloods got hit up too. Like, but mm-hmm. so it's, it definitely spilled. It's definitely spilled beyond the industry and beyond like music. Yeah. So I just showed you how how deadly things can get when you take it to the street level. Yeah. I mean, and it was so whirlwind. Pac dealt with this, went to Vegas, saw the Tyson fight, gets in this fight with Orlando Anderson, on his way to Club 662, eventually gets shot and caught up by the same dudes that they had a fight with. People think that it's related to Biggie and and Puffy and all these people and stuff related to East Coast stuff or whatever. Six months later, Biggie goes to L.A. when he never should have went out there, and then he gets killed by people who want a revenge for what happened to Pac. At least that's what the word on the street is. I mean, it's related towards all that shit. It's all tied together, you know? So a tragedy it is because to me, I mean, from where Pac went from here, it's no telling just how big he could have gotten. And I think I remember writing this tweet and I said, if only Biggie and Pac would have had the chance to talk to each other when Pac was in the hospital, you know? Like if only his people had to turn Biggie away and be like, yo, man, you're not, nah, Pop don't want to see you. If only they could have sat down in the hospital and talked to each other. You know, who who knows what might have happened then, you know? Who knows what might have happened then? But if that would have happened, maybe we don't get all eyes on me. So it's something that you could take either way. We will appreciate this album, and it's a part of history now. And definitely, to me, why I don't think it's Pac's best work, I do think it's probably his most influential album. So there we are. We got to get to the test of time. The final test to see what we think about it. So, Jay, what say you, man? Um, first, of course, your classic rating. Is it certified, borderline, just in this time, not a classic? 
And then between seven to ten, how you feel about how strongly you feel about it being that rating? Um, I'm, I'm gonna have to go with certified classic, and I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with a ten on this one. I mm. mean, all things considered, yeah. I mean, it, it just had too great of an impact. And I mean, even like even if, if it was some songs I might have felt like you know were skippable, but like the overall impact of the album, yeah, I gotta anything less than that, I don't think would be right in my opinion. Mm. I'm with you there. It's certified classic, and to me. I put this as a 10 as well. And to not only think about the time period that he did this in within two weeks, but to put out an album before this, Be Against the World, which I think is Pac's best album, then to put out another piece of work right after that on All Eyes on Me and be having two albums that are completely different from each other. And the scope of what was in Me Against the World to what was on All Eyes on Me. The impact of what this had, the fact that you talk about this album and you talk about Tupac and where he stands out as far as greatest MCs, all classic artists and artisans have something in their repertoire that they can show their versatility. To me, this is Pac showing his versatility, and it really came from a very raw feeling. This is a raw album emotionally. You can tell where Pac is emotionally when he did this. He's angry, but out of it comes some beautiful music, and out of it comes some beautiful artistry that Pac definitely puts on display here, and it's maintained over 25 years. So it's certified classic for me, and it is a 10. I do give this a 10 on my classic rating as far as how I feel about it being a certified classic. Tupac, all eyes on me. Me and Jay are in agreement. We think it's a certified classic. We give it a 10 on that rating. So please go check this out. Anywhere where you can find music, go ahead and stream it. Buy it. If you're a vinyl head, go find this on vinyl. <laughs> it may it, cost you a little there. bit. It may cost it's you a little bit to be able to get both of the both of the vinyl vinyl uh, records, man. But go get it. You know what I'm saying? Listen to it and listen to the message that's being spit spit out there. It's not all West Coast and fuck Biggie and fuck New York. No, it's matter of fact, it's really not much of that at all. Listen to what Pac is saying though. Like Jay says, there's a lot of things in this record that you hear that are relevant today. And that's really the test of timeless music when you can see how relevant it is from the time that it was made to the time today. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to any one of our social media sites, you can check us out with the bio. Our Linktree link has all of our social media sites and also all of our streaming sources. You can check us out on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube. You can search us by The Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have something new coming out every single week. Make sure y'all check us out, man. Show us some love in the comments and YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and interact with us on Facebook. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.